Amen, amen. Just a reminder that our school-age kids will be in here with us today. And kiddos, when you came in, hopefully you received a little packet that's got some coloring sheets in there. And we're going to talk, yeah, you're already started on it. I see that looks good right there, Charlie. I see that, man. He's, he's killing it. That's great. Um, I would love to see what you drew at the end of the service. So if you color that or you draw something about what we're talking about in the sermon today as an illustration, I would love to see that at the end. Um, let me invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and 2. And before we dive into that, I want to bring attention to our uh, Christmas mission offering. You received a uh, plethora of things in your little packet. Robin pointed out uh, the family advent guide. I do encourage you to do that. Pick a night of the week. Um, listen, Christmas season is crazy busy. And um, you're at the beginning, right, of the advent season. And I would encourage you to pick a night or a time, make this a priority to sit down with your kiddos even maybe as they go to sleep, right? If you normally go in and say a prayer with them or something, that y'all would read that. And you don't have to follow this, but uh, my encouragement is to, um, to magnify the Lord through this season. We'll talk more about that. Um, there's an offering envelope in there for our Christmas mission offering. And um, every year during this season, on the last uh, Sunday that we meet before Christmas, we'll take up an offering the, the proceeds will directly go to our mission partners. And that's the other little sheet you have in your guide. So if you didn't get one of these, please get one on your way out. We did it this way so that it would take up, normally we give you a card for every mission uh, focus, but we put them all on one sheet. And our hope is that this would be a prayer guide for you, that this would find space on your fridge next to your kid's artwork or whatever else you got up there. And, um, and that, uh, that you would follow the first week of the month, you would pray for our church planters. The second week, you'd pray for the hub. Along those lines, you kind of get it. And we'll be introducing you to some of those people. You see our church planters there right now. Um, the Browns are planting in Shreveport. Uh, the Kleins that are uh, the Anchor Church, they're in Mexico. The Partains in New Orleans. The Gobers in New York City. And the Quacks that are in um, Compton. So, those are our guys. Those are uh, our heroes, some of them. Um, man, the incredible people on this page, uh, they just inspire me to such depths of my heart that they have stepped out, sacrificed so much for the mission of God, and I want to pray for them, and I want to continue praying for them, and then we're going to take up that offering, and we're going to bless them financially. Um, we challenge everyone every year to try to match what you spend on Christmas gifts to your gift to the, to the Christmas mission offering. So to match, which might mean you need to spend less on gifts so that you can do this. And if that's too much for you, that's okay. You give what you can. Um, it was never the amount that Jesus uh, celebrated. It was always the sacrifice it took to give that amount. Um, so that's that. And... Uh, We'll take up all that money. Our goal this year is $35,000, which is an incredible amount of money for our size of a church. But we're praying. We have never, we have never missed the goal. Every year, you guys are always so faithful. Um, sometimes we haven't quite reached it by our Christmas Eve service when we normally announce it. But in that week between Christmas Eve and the first of the year, um, funds come in. And God has always been so faithful to do that. So can we take just a minute? I want to pray for our church planters. And then we're going to dive into um, the text. 
God, thank you for um, these men and women and kiddos who are sacrificing so much to bring the gospel to dark places. I pray for them. I pray for their families. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just, at this very moment, that your uh, arms of grace would wrap around them. You would assure them that you're proud of them, that they are, um, they are walking down the path you put before them, um, that you love them dearly. And uh, Lord, I pray for fruitfulness in the work of their ministry as they sow seeds of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, that there would be um, people that would receive it and you would um, just do incredible things through that ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Typically, in our uh, history as a church, we normally don't meet today, um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but since it's the start of Advent, um, we didn't want to miss today, the start of Advent. It's got to be my favorite time of the year. Um, it's certainly the best messages to preach because they basically preach themselves. Um, I love the songs that we sing. Uh, <clears throat> people miss this sometimes. Um, just the, the theological depth in the Christian hymns that we sing at Christmas. I mean, so theological. I was talking to my kids in the car yesterday. And I was talking about this theological death. We were listening to uh, Hark the Herald Angels sing, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, right? I mean, so rich. And so I was talking to my kids like, well, what's your favorite Christmas song? And Hud's was, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Not quite the theological depth I was going for. Um, certainly there. You ever wonder why singing is such a part of the Christian faith? One of my pastor friends is looking at the songs of the nativity during their Advent season. The ones that the characters in scripture actually sing after the angel appears to Zechariah and John the Baptist is born. He breaks into song once he gets his voice back. We see Mary sings a song, the Magnificat. We see the angel singing. Uh, Simeon sings. He kind of really does more of a rap, but kind of a song. Um, but that counts, right? And I'm sure people that are coming from the outside who aren't used to congregational singing might end up in, uh, in the midst, in our midst of our faith family and wonder um, why we sing and why we sing with such passion. Hopefully we sing with passion. Because you don't see a whole lot of congregational singing outside the church. Maybe some karaoke. Most people sing the birthday song. Whoever wrote that's got to be making millions of dollars, Right. We sing during the seventh inning stretch, which is always a little weird too. Take me out to the ball game. Ashley and I were talking about this. You sing that while you're at the ball game, which is kind of weird. You sing maybe at a wedding. You certainly sing at a funeral. But as a closer look, you see singing is an integral part of the human existence. As long as there have been babies and mamas, there's been lullabies. As long as people have fallen in love, there's been love songs. As long as there's been celebration, there's been singing and dancing. and holy moments, you often find singing. If you've ever been around a deathbed or the terminally ill, you will find people singing. I used this illustration a couple months ago, but when my dad was at Baylor and in the hospital and in the ICU, and it looked really bleak, um, they bring in instrumentalists to actually play at the door going into the hospital rooms, and um, someone with a harp, a guy was right outside of our 
little room playing uh, this portable organ. And my mom and I were in the room, and she's like, what is that singing? He's playing these hymns. I said, well, it's a guy you know, who's playing these things, so it would help us uh, process this. And she said, it's not helping loud enough. And he began to pack up the organ, right, and leave. Um, true. I was like, Mom, he's right out there. She's, well, it's true. It's not helping. Okay. People of faith have always sung praises and blessings and sometimes prayers to God. Augustine used to say that when you sing, you pray twice, once with your mind and once with your heart. The people of God, the whole book of Psalms is a collection of songs that the people of God, the the Hebrew people would sing around different festivals at different times of the year. People sing when they're facing overwhelming difficulty. We see Paul and Silas are in stocks and in prisons. And what do they begin to do? They begin to sing hymns, joyous songs to God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, just moments before he was to be denied and betrayed, the disciples left the upper room And they sang songs together. They're called the Great Hallels. You can see them maybe in the titles of your, uh, there at the end of the Psalms. Now music is always associated with Christmas. Christmas songs are the best. I told Molly this morning, with no shame, we've been singing Christmas songs since the day after Halloween. I mean, and we blare them loud and I embarrass the kids when I drop them off at school. I love, I love these songs. Won't you uh, tell someone sitting next to you what your favorite Christmas song is? Hippopotamus doesn't count. Favorite Christmas song? One of my favorite songs is Joy to the World. And we're going to be talking about that this week and next. And uh, our Advent kind of series is going to be these songs of Christmas. And we're going to look at the theological depth and their inspiration and the stories that we find uh, in, in, the, in these Christmas songs and how they point to Jesus. Again, one of my favorites is Joy to the World. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time that you experienced joy? Not just happiness that is fleeting, but great, deep, abiding joy, the kind that forces you to smile, the kind that just seems to come out of you. As a kid, the most joyous day that I can remember, and it didn't happen too often as I grew up in the South, was a snow day. When, you know, you kind of look up and there's a chance. Like anytime it gets below freezing or even cold, my kids even now come to me and say, Dad, they might cancel school tomorrow. I was like, that's not, no, I don't think so. Let's plan on being there. Um, But when it does happen, I remember as a kid, and you wake up, and you get ready for school, and you look outside, and you think, man, they might cancel school, and you turn the news on, right? The only time we watch the news, see if they would cancel school. So much joy. Let me ask you this. How much joy are you living with today? How much joy? Joy is one of the markers of the Christian faith. It should certainly be one of the markers of our attitude, of our lives, that we are living with joy. We talked about this a few months ago as we've been walking through the book of James. Real abiding joy is possible, not in your circumstances. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Why James says you should have joy in all circumstances. 
But joy is really based upon the nearness of God. And you're going to see that as we look at these stories. The joy shows up as most of the Christmas accounts, mostly in Matthew and Luke. Mark doesn't contain a lot of Christmas accounts. He's like straight to business there. John 2 and John 1 speaks more theologically and gets right to the implications. But uh, Matthew and Luke both contain like some different uh, snapshots of the Christmas story. In Matthew 2, we see the wise men who are following the star to find the new king. It says in Matthew 2, And behold, the star that they had, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The wise men full of joy. Then Elizabeth, married to Zechariah, was buried in her old age. And supernaturally, she um, is with child. Speaks when the first time that she met up with Mary, her relative, who was pregnant with baby Jesus. Says in verse 41 of Luke 1. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Isn't that incredible? John the Baptist, inside the womb of his mother, Upon being in proximity to Jesus, leaps for joy. Earlier, when Mary got the news, she responded in song. Again, this would have been crazy news for her to hear. She had all the right questions. She responded, well, let it be to me as you have said, in obedience. And then she writes a song out. And Mary said in verse 46 of Luke 1, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see that in verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Probably the most classic text of joy is the shepherds. Again, in the book of Luke, in verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy for all the people. And again, this isn't flippant joy, just the emotion of a season or of a moment. This is this underlying confidence in who God is. And you see it appear as God comes near. I was researching this idea of joy and how our world longs for joy. Our world wants this kind of joy. They are chasing this joy with with everything they can, right? I learned that the tears of joy emoji 
is the most commonly texted emoji of all time. Don't say you didn't learn anything today. Some of you are like, what's an emoji? Um, Ask one of the little kids in here. They'll tell you exactly what it is. C.S. Lewis, uh, author that wrote Mere Christianity and many other books, wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. He grew up in a church, but uh, slowly, but left that as he became older and was a pretty staunch atheist and pretty vocal about his rejection of Christianity. But it was largely, he would say, this word joy and his search for it that led him to faith in Jesus. He could find no other lasting source of it, he says, other than Jesus. After much searching, he discovered that lasting joy could only be found in a relationship with Jesus and the church. Good news of great joy. The song we sing, Joy to the World, was written by a man named Isaac Watts. It's the most published Christmas song in North America. Joy to the world. I remember as a little kid, um, my dad planted several churches, and one of my earliest memories is being in one of these, uh, being in this van or this bus that I'm sure we borrowed from someone, and um, like our thing was to drive around with the church in this bus and look at the Christmas lights, and we would sing Christmas carols. Except my dad only knew the words to one song, really, and it was Joy to the World. It was the only fully one that he knew. So we sang it over and over and over again. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World based on Psalms 98. I want to read a portion of that and part of Psalms 96. So what it says in Psalms 98, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. You might underline that phrase as that is found in almost every one of the Christmas stories we just read, that salvation has come. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sights of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Here's verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Like this thing has just become a musical. I just, I just, when I see this, just like everybody just starts singing, right? This joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. The sound of melody with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the Lord. Before the king. The psalmist here and the angelic announcement in Luke 2 are very similar. Why are they so full of joy? Because the Lord has made known his salvation, the good news. The good news, which is translated the gospel, literally means the good news. Or the gospel of of great joy, right? The good news has been made known. Times were pretty dark, very little hope. Isaiah paints the picture this way in Isaiah 9 and verse 2. These people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. What is that light? Passage you're familiar with. Run to us, a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you see the picture that's pretty dark and bleak. Think about a time in your life when you have felt the most hopeless. As if you are walking through darkness itself and could see no light. That's what these people were living in in the time that Jesus came. It had been several hundred years in the intertestamental period between when they had even heard God speak. God spoke all through the Old Testament and he spoke through prophets. And yet there's hundreds of years where they have not heard him. And while they're not hearing him, the oppression of Rome is getting stronger and harder. And it's in this setting that the angel appears to Zechariah and says, you know what? Your wife Elizabeth will be pregnant and your son will be the one who paves the way, paves the way for the coming Messiah appears to Mary, tells her, you will carry the Messiah, appears to Joseph, says he will be the Messiah. You have to call his name Jesus, which literally means God saves. In the darkest time in history, a light was shining, and it resulted in great joy. Good news of great joy for all the people. I can't help but think that our world aches for good news. You don't even know where to find good news at anymore. You watch the news itself and you're always wondering what kind of bent is being, I just want something which just like, just report the news, like the actual news. We look for good news everywhere. Where can we find good news? And here it is. What is this good news that they were reporting? That the coming Messiah was actually right in front of them. That God had sent his son Jesus to make a way for us to be reconciled to God, no longer having to go through the, the, the process of the high priest making sacrifices yearly. He would have to do it again and again, and it was for temporary forgiveness of all the things that they had done wrong and what had separated them from God. No, Jesus would come, and he would be the great high priest, the lasting high priest, the perfect high priest who would make atonement for our own sin. That is good news. Now, a lot of people get this wrong. Even in churches, they cling to a more mediocre news, which is not the gospel, but something that we might call religion or moralism, that we have to do our best. And if we do our best and we try our best and we're as good as we possibly can, that at the end of things, We'll have done more good than bad. And then if it works out that way, then the prize that we get will be heaven for all of eternity. Like God is some sort of weird Santa that keeps a list of everything that we've done wrong and everything that we've done right. But instead of the penalty being coal in your stocking, it's hell and separation from God for all eternity. That's not good news. It would be mediocre News at best, because you and I, if we're both really honest, now we might be nice and kind to people, but we know the depths of our heart that we're not good, and our good will never outweigh our bad. Even on our best day, the motives of our hearts are so far from God, ultimately moralism is just exhausting, and it's not good news at all. 
pendulum swing the other way and you have what's called irreligion or living as a prodigal maybe where you just do whatever you want to do and hope it all shakes out in the end. But there is good news that Jesus has come. My encouragement to us today is this, that we would realize that true joy is found in the presence of Jesus. Not dependent on our circumstances, but it's funny how culture just tries to push the joy of Jesus out of us. I get frustrated with all the Christmas songs that are not about Jesus. They're about all the fleeting things. And I'm a bit of a grump, I guess, when it comes to some of those things. I can just handle so many Santa babies, right? I'm like, I am done with this. Or even the Christian songs that, you know, speak of Jesus as like him not crying and things like that. Like, no, he was fully man and fully God. There is such richness in the good news of Jesus that we could actually sing about. And so many of these hymns, right, direct us in that direction. And we should get, we, we, sh- we should sing those things. I love that, that Augustine quote that we, when we sing, we pray twice with our minds and with our hearts because we're engaged with them. Here's a few kind of points of application that I would like to give us as we prepare to make the most of this Advent season. The first is to say yes to his invitation. Notice all the characters responded to the announcement that Jesus was near by saying yes to what was in front of them. The wise men rejoiced because the star was leading them and they followed it. And you can see that whole thing, right, that they followed to where Jesus was, and they gave these sacrificial gifts to him. Joseph was probably the most resistant that he didn't want. This was not his dream for his life, and yet he submitted those dreams for our own benefit even today. He said yes to the invitation. He obeyed what God had put in front of him. We certainly see it in Mary who didn't understand how everything would work out. Basically, she understood how nothing would work out. And yet she said yes. All the characters responded to the announcement that Jesus was near by saying yes to his invitation to follow him, to worship him, to kneel before him, to give generously, to rearrange their life even for his coming. Here's the question, church. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? He's always inviting us to take a step of faith. When I meet with men and disciple them and coach them, that's the question I always ask. We meet even in our huddle. What's, what's the step of faith that God is calling us to take a step? Sometimes, if we're being honest, we just need that nudge, right? To take that step of faith, to confess that sin to be authentic, to be real, to ask for help. We just, we just need that little nudge that we could say yes to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the enemy tries to paralyze us from saying yes by all the things that like come up against us. I love the, the song that, that we sang a, a few minutes ago, my fear didn't stand a chance. The other theme that you see in the Christmas story is this theme of fear, that fear would show up and the angel would quickly say, hey, don't fear, don't be afraid. Jesus is near. 
Jesus has come. Salvation is at work. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the nudge that you need to take? And maybe even this day, maybe it's a, you need to go apologize to someone. Maybe there's a, a separated relationship. And, 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 and yes, it's 90% on them. I get it. But, you, but you've, got to, you've got to mend. That's who God made us is people who make peace, people who reconcile. Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. What's, what's the Holy Spirit nudging you to do today? I don't say that to make it awkward, but I, I know how our God works. And he's always inviting us in. And then he's always sending us out. He always gives us a step of faith to take. What might that step of faith be for you? Say yes to his invitation my next encouragement or admonishment for us would be to make space for him. It seems like in our culture, let me just be honest with you, in my own life, it seems like the focus of Christmas gets pushed further and further into the margins. And we got to get all the right gifts, and so we start doing that on Thanksgiving or even before that. And we do all the shopping and we put up all the decorations and we have all these Christmas traditions and they're great. And I'm not saying any of them are wrong. But if we're not careful, we will let nostalgia and all the things, all the Christmas parties and all, all, the, all the things that we've got to do push the worship and magnification of Christ right out of this season. If you had none of the other things... None of the parties, and none of the presents, and none of the shopping, and you only had Jesus. Would that be reason enough to celebrate? We've got to make room for this. We've got to be disciplined in this. We see in these stories, as God had promised to send the Messiah thousands of years before, Thousands of years, the Jewish people with great anticipation, expectation, like they were on their tippy toes hovering over trying to see when Messiah would come. They were ready and they were expectant. That's why when the angel showed up, it scared them. But it was not unfamiliar to them. They had made room to look in the first advent just as we should make room as we expect the second advent. The scripture says there is coming a day when Christ will return, when we will hear the trumpet blow and the dead in Christ will rise first and that all that will remain will meet him together in the air. Scripture says at that point that we'll have to give an account for our life and what we stewarded with the resources that he's entrusted us with. That's why I love this Christmas mission offering because it kind of forces us to come up with a plan to spend less and to give more. I hope my kids know that Christmas is far more about giving than it is receiving things. We see the wise men were expectant, following the star. Mary was ready, saying, yes, whatever you say. There's a man in the story, you've heard this story, I mentioned him just a minute ago, Simeon. 
And Luke 2. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or salvation, you could interpret that word, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He sees Jesus and holds Jesus in his hands, blessing him. He says in verse 29 of Luke 2, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. We got to make space. What are you going to do this Advent season to make space? I would encourage you to have a plan. If you don't, all the things of the, uh, of the season will push it out. What's your plan? Is it a night of the week that you're going to uh, sit down with your family and do some kind of devotional? Is it every night of the week that you're going to do that? What about you personally? How, how are you going to make the most of this season and magnify Christ with all that you have through this season so that, so that you would be a lens at which other people would look like, would look at and say, oh, that's, that's how you make the most of Christmas. I'm going to read through the book of Luke this season that kind of is going to take me. I'm just going to read 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. And If I get to the end, I'll start again. Just a, a complete overview. Maybe there's an Advent guide that you would like to find, and we're going to give you some more resources this week. But my encouragement, friends, is that you would come up with a real plan to make space for Christ. My last encouragement and I'll be done, is to fill your heart with beauty. As the psalmist say that we would look into the hills, to fill your heart with beauty. It's essential, at least daily, Keller says, to fill your heart with beauty. To notice the snowflake and the maker of it. Aren't the sunsets this time of year the most beautiful? We were looking at one yesterday as we were driving, and you know, the thunderstorm had kind of come through, and it's just these beautiful colors of purple and red and blue all blended together. If you let it, it'll almost take your breath away. Incredible. It's a phrase we sing in Joy to the World and the Wonders of His Love. Just to get caught up just a little bit in the wonders of His love. To remember your own depravity, your own sin, how much an offense that was to God. And yet all of that was placed on the person of Jesus. And everything that was in the bank account, so to speak, of Jesus was imparted to us. And we've become heirs with Christ, the wonders of his love. That should, that should rapture your heart, right, to some other place as we begin to focus on those things. To notice the beauty and creation that every good gift has come from God above, is what James says. Psalms 19 talks about understanding who God is by seeing the heavens. It says in 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pouring out speech and night to night revealing knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Meaning we don't hear the voice, but we see it, right? In verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. In them, he has set a tent for them, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man running its course with joy. 
That word joy right there again, I just love it. The world is so broken and we are so inundated with the media accounts of the fall. It's just in front of us all the time. That we need to heal the heart by letting beauty wash over it. Albert Einstein once said, there are only two ways to live your life. One as if nothing is a miracle and the other as if everything is. Jesus would say something similar. This is in the message paraphrase of Luke 11. Jesus says, your eye is a lamp lighting up your whole body. If you live in wide-eyed wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. Keep your eyes open, your lamp burning so you don't get musty and murky. Keep your life as well-lighted as your best-lighted room so that you don't get musty and murky. I like that. Paul would pray over the church that we would have joy in Romans 15. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. In church, when we trust the promises of God and we have joy and peace and love, then God is ultimately glorified in our life. Let me pray for us. And as I pray, if you would just take just a minute, just right where you're at, Maybe you would ask God that same question. God, what are you leading me to do? What nudge do I need this morning? What step of faith are you putting in front of me? Is it sin that needs to be confessed? Is it something that I'm not doing that I should be doing? Is it... What's the... We talked a couple weeks ago. What's the next right thing that you're leading me to do? What's the source of your joy? You would ask God that he would remind you once again the source of joy is his nearness. Some of you might be walking through the most difficult season that you can remember. And yet, when God is near, there can be joy. And maybe... God's call to you is just to fill your heart with wonder once again. With beauty of all that he's done. To step back just for a moment and look at what he's done. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for these promises. I thank you for these incredible songs, these hymns that we sing at Christmas that are so full of your truth. God, you didn't leave us in darkness and depravity of our own sin. But you loved us ultimately to the extent of sending your only son that he would die our death for us on the cross so that we might be reconciled again to you and have joy and hope. Without the good news, there is no great joy. I pray that we embrace that for all it is in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got our communion servers here. When you're ready, you can come and take communion. And we do this nearly every week. And you don't have to be a member of our church. But you do have to be part of God's family and following him in obedience. 
We just take the bread and dip it in the cup 